What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Mind Over Macros podcast. As always, I am your host, Mike Milner. Today, I had another special guest. This was a repeat guest, and I'm sure you're going to be excited to have her back on the show. As I was, Christy Campbell joined me. This was our best episode yet. Definitively, there are so many gems in this conversation. If you are feeling stuck, if you feel like you're struggling to take action, if you feel like putting that first foot forward has been, has been difficult, if you feel overwhelmed, you don't know where to start, this episode is for you. It's all about how to take action, how to change your mindset to take action and keep showing up for yourself. This is not some like motivational, inspirational, rah-rah bullshit. This is real. This is actionable. This is practical. I'm telling you, you're going to want to listen to this episode probably a few times. So if you agree with me and you actually do enjoy it, please let me know. Uh, You can just take a screenshot of the episode and then post it to your stories on Instagram. And if you don't mind, tag both of us. You can tag me at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner, and you can tag Christy at Christy May Campbell. And if you can leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes, it would be greatly appreciated. Enjoy the episode. All right, guys, I am joined today by a very special guest, another repeat guest. Is this your third or fourth time on the show? I think third. I think third. Yeah. You got the the trifecta, Christy Campbell. Um, Welcome, first of all. Welcome back, I should say. Thank you. Always pumped to be here. Yeah, definitely. So for those of you who have not listened to the first two episodes, you should probably go back and do that um, just to get some background on Christy and FitMe. And we always have good conversations, honestly, either when we're recording or not recording. Uh, We are very much in alignment on a lot of things. And um, I like how you kind of, I think we both do this. Like we, we take concepts in fitness and then we come up with analogies and we kind of break it down in, in ways that are very practical, practical, tangible, easy to digest, which I think is a gift that you have, which I really appreciate. Um, in fact, we were just talking last night about something you mentioned for coaches as a way to kind of understand like the actions that they need to take and just mm-hmm. a way to frame it that, that makes them, um, you know, see it in a different way than this like overwhelming laundry list of, of to-dos. Um, do you feel like that's something that you've always been able to do? Or is that like kind of something you've developed over, over time? I feel like it's a coping mechanism. Honestly, I think it's something that I've done without having to verbalize it maybe my whole life. Um, the thing, like, just like what you said, when you're in, when you're trying to do something that's new, whatever you're surrounded with tends to feel overwhelming or like there's so many things, um, it's very difficult to see what you should do. That's that's really not as hard as you think. And so oftentimes I feel like there are parallels between things in our lives that we're familiar with um, and that we can see. That's not that crazy. And then just applying it, whether it's to online the online space, which can be very overwhelming for a coach, um, but also food things or moving your body or being kind to yourself, those like parallels tend to be a bridge where you can where you can start to take action, not be so paralyzed by everything being overwhelming. Yeah. And I think we're having this conversation at an interesting time uh, because we're recording this on December 29th and we're about to hit that new year, um, you know, time period where it's just an interesting time good or bad or indifferent, it's just a unique period because especially in, in our industry, you kind of see all the, the good and bad kind of rolled into one like outburst into, uh, into different approaches. But what I think is, is interesting about it is now we're, we're seeing like a lot of the standard comments of, I'm so overwhelmed. I don't even know where to start transition into I'm just going to do everything all at once, which is usually how the new year's resolution goes. It's like, all right, well, I, w- I went from kind of stagnant and almost paralyzed by all of the things that seem so overwhelming. There's all this information out there. I don't know what to listen to, who to listen to, what approach to follow, what should I do at the gym? How should I eat? All of these different things that feel really overwhelming. And then 
January hits and it's like, all right, well, I'm just going to do all of them at once. Like I'm going to dial in my nutrition. I'm going to hit the gym. I'm going to do cardio. I'm going to walk every day. I'm going to drink my water. I'm going to take my supplements. And um, I actually did a training on this exact topic for coaches, not exactly like, like this, but the same concept of the more things that you add to your plan, mathematically, you're lowering your chances of success. Well, you'll love this because I know we always go back and forth about these metaphors, like you, like you mentioned at the beginning, or these parallels, these like ways to understand it. I did a, a training. This is my favorite metaphor. And it applies to New Year's more than ever. But imagine you're you're a person on a side of a hill, and there's a big hill, and on your side is a mountain of bricks. What happens around New Year's is everybody gets hype and they're like, I'm going to move 10 bricks a day, every day. I'm committed. I'm all in. All these people all around you are saying the same thing. I'm going to move 10 bricks a day over this hill. And you might do it for five, seven, maybe even 10 days of moving these 10 bricks a day. And then one day you don't get to move them and you're like, "Mm, I'm done. So you don't move any bricks anymore. And then you take a break until the next thing starts. And then you get, you know, amped up two or three, four times a year, like most people do when they start diets and they commit to moving 10 bricks a day, people quit, then you quit and it's done. If you do the math, which is like what you're saying, you end up only moving a couple hundred bricks over the year. Meanwhile, if you have a different kind of approach where you're like, you know what, I'm going to do what I can do for today, whether that is one brick or 10 bricks, but it probably won't be 10 most days. And, it, and hopefully it won't be one, but maybe you average a six. You're just a flat D, right? Like a D for your day. You're moving six bricks a day over the course of a year. You move thousands of bricks. You're making significantly more progress. It doesn't matter what our brains tell us. Mentally, the other version feels better. But if you actually do the math, if you look at what it would take, doing D-level effort, is way better than all in. I love it. I love that analogy. Um, and I think that when you talk about the 10 bricks, the other part of that equation is that in order to move the 10 bricks, you're relying on everything to go perfect. Like you're relying yes. on perfection. You're relying on all of the stars being aligned. Your schedule is exactly how you planned it. Nothing comes up, right? You, you have no room for life happening if your kid gets sick, if your dog gets sick, if you, you know, have an unexpected event that pops up, if somebody calls you and they need you for some emergency, none of that is, there's no space for that when you're moving the 10 bricks, because the 10 bricks require absolute perfection across the board, which we know is impossible. We know Mm -hmm. that randomness and unexpected events, like that's baked in to life. We, we have to account for those things because they will always happen always and forever. Um, so I love that analogy. How do you get somebody to shift the mindset? How do you get somebody who logically says, you know what, what you're saying makes perfect sense. And I can tangibly grasp that analogy. And I know that I've been trying to move the 10 bricks and it's been causing me struggle and setbacks. And I always start back at, at square one. And I know this about myself, but how do I actually get myself to focus less on the 10 bricks and more on the one to two to six bricks per day. Uh, How do I shift that mindset? Even when I logically know it, but then taking action on it is very different. Knowing and doing are very different. So how do we bridge that gap? Well, I think there's two ways. One is looking back at past history and saying how well, and letting someone just look and see how well did the 10 brick plan work for you? Um, And really seeing that it didn't work. Um, Because I think sometimes we look, we don't look back accurately. We remember the time that we did like the perfect paleo challenge or something and that we lost all this weight, but we're actually not remembering correctly. So if we look at it, not just as, okay, what did I do for those 30 days? But what happened after that? Then that's probably the starting point is that didn't work before. So what if this new approach where you don't have to be perfect We're really focused on consistency more than like this all in mentality of let's do all the things perfectly. The, the strategy shifts to this is the approach taken by everyone who's successful. 
And and I think when people start to understand that, again, whether it's changing your body, whether it's business, whether it's coaching, the people who are achieving what they want have this other approach of let me just keep showing up consistently. Let me do the thing that I can do today, um, whether it's a 10 or a two. And so for me, that helps when you're trying to make that shift. It's like seeing that that didn't work and then looking at what does work for people who are achieving what I want and and just try to copy that, copy that pattern. So what does that look like? I think that's the the important thing. Well, what that looks like is you packed your stuff to go to the gym after work. And so you were going to do it every single day this week and work made you stay late. And so now you missed your class that would have started at six and you're pissed. You could just go home. That's sort of like that not moving 10 bricks today. Screw it. Or you show up for the 20 minutes that you have. You do something. Now you move two bricks. That's what it actually looks like in real life. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And kind of to your point with looking at first your past history, but then also other people who have achieved what you want to achieve. But this is something where there's a fine line because most of the time we draw an arrow from the narrative to show proof of that narrative. And what I mean by that is if you're like, Hey, I want to change my body. I want to be really fit. And then you start to search for ways to accomplish that. And you might come across the the paleo challenge that you mentioned. And so the, the line that you're trying to draw is this paleo challenge leads to getting really fit, right? So you're drawing that line. And what will happen is you'll see a bunch of examples of look at all of these people who did the paleo challenge and look at how they uh, look at their results and you'll see the before and after pictures. And that will be proof in your mind that there's a logical conclusion that this paleo challenge leads to this body. What I like to do is invert that and draw the arrow in the opposite direction and say, is everybody who's fit and successful doing this paleo challenge? And now all of a sudden that narrative no longer holds up. Because we know definitively that there are lots of fit and successful people that did not accomplish it that way. So we know that that's not the only way to achieve it. And now we can start to apply our own individual filter to like, does this make sense for me? Because not everybody who has what I want had to do this thing to get there. And we can start to make more informed decisions. Do you have like another way of kind of, I call it like the bullshit filter. That's like my way of inverting somebody's conclusion? Do you have any other like bullshit filters that you use? Well, I just think that there are many examples of a moment, whether it's a a specific moment in time, like a a five minute moment, a two second moment, a day, a 30 day interval where you did something and it changed your life. And so sometimes when we're looking to change our body, we say, oh my God, somebody did the paleo challenge for 30 days. And now here we are four years later, like their life has changed. But really it was what happened after that. It just happened to be that that situation where they were able to step outside themselves, learn something, do something new. It really did change them. I mean, it snowed here. So I'm in Washington state. It snowed here. I could walk out my front door, slip on my front steps and smash my face like into the cold snow and have one of those moments. It actually has nothing to do with the thing. If it, if it ultimately changes me ahead, if I, if I, face plant into the snow and get up and think to myself, I got to do things differently. Like that just means that I've had one of those moments. And so then I can, again, create that life that I, that I want or what needs to be different. It doesn't mean you need to go face plant in the snow um, to achieve this for yourself. And so I know it's a little bit different than what you're saying, because I think you're right. Um, We go searching for, well, how do I go from point A to point B? And in some ways that can be really helpful. In other ways, we just need to look at it with the, a different perspective. It's not saying, do I need to do exactly what they did? It's what was a series of events that happened here that led them to create this lifelong change that they that they did and then applying it to your life. So you can say, okay, well, like what is the catalyst that I need to sort of make this pivot and what needs to happen after that? And that's why I don't hate New Year's, to be honest. Uh, the new year's resolution thing for a long time, I was like, oh my God, I just want to survive January because everybody talks about it. Nobody wants to do it. But now I actually don't mind that because of the hundred people that I may encounter that are talking about change. 
three or four of them are going to do something that's going to change their life. And they're going to do it at New Year's. And I'm totally down with that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I I feel the same way. I think that New Year's resolution, they it gets a bad rap. And, and I even posted on my stories that there was a study done at uh, University of Scranton where they showed the success rate to be about 8%. 8% of New Year's resolutions are successful. But I would have been the statistic in the 92% because I started like my new year, new you transformation challenge at this gym that I was going to. And it was, it was not a successful challenge in the sense that I lost weight and I gained it all back, but it was the catalyst for me to change. If that had never happened, I wouldn't be where I am today. So I credit a lot of where I am now to actually joining that challenge because it led me down the rabbit hole of education and learn. I was so frustrated and I finally got to the point of like, I just have to figure this out. So I started learning more and I never would have gotten to that point. So yeah, I would have been in the 92%, but I I owe a lot to that challenge and, and just getting me to where I am today. So sometimes the path can look different and, and it can be not as linear. Um, I think sometimes we always look as humans, we tend to look at like top down. If you look at the iceberg effect and we only see what's Mm -hmm. above the surface, we always look there first and then we start to move downwards. I like to look at it. Like what, what are the things underneath that we don't see? Uh, There's so much, I feel like there's always so much context missing when you read stuff, when you hear success stories, when you are following people on social media. Um, But the thing that fascinates me the most is this concept of getting people to embrace the six bricks or less theory mm-hmm. and, and actually doing it. Um, well, there's two things that I think help with that. So take the metaphor further. Two things that help. One, surrounding yourself with other people who are moving six bricks. That helps. Um, so talking about community, talking about having an accountability buddy, even just one friend who is down for this, this idea with you, that can be incredibly helpful. And then the other thing is that, and again, this, I mean, you're a coach, I'm a coach. This is how powerful coaching is. Having a coach who's basically standing on top of that hill, looking at the big picture and saying, I know you don't want to move any bricks today, but let's go ahead and get two up and over the hill. Um, And having someone who sees that big picture and who can kind of give you that direction because you can't see up and over the hill. And sometimes you forget you moved any bricks. You might've been moving bricks every single day. And then one day you forget. You're like, I didn't make any progress. I suck. I'm terrible. Um, I quit. I'm not, this is not working. Meanwhile, if you have a, a coach or somebody who can see the big picture for you, they can tell you, hey, look, you forgot because you can't see it, but you've got 800 bricks over here that you've already moved. Like, let's just move one today. So having other people do it with you and having a coach or somebody in your life who can see that big picture, somebody who's done it before, um, that's, that's the ticket that I didn't say before. Yeah, I think it's super important because what a coach will do, what a good coach will do is the coach will focus on the behaviors that lead to the outcome, not the outcome where it's it's human nature, right? We want like, why aren't all my bricks up the hill, right? Like I've been moving bricks for 10 days. Why aren't they all up the hill? And the coach will focus on the the behavior, like how consistent you've been with moving bricks. That's all we care about. Um, how do you help kind of like deduce what bricks should be moved for each person? Everybody's different, obviously, but when somebody does have that mindset, they're like, all right, you know what? I'm ready to give this a shot. I've been trying to move 10 bricks at a time, but now I just don't know where to start. Like, what are the bricks that I should begin with, um, to, to be able to maybe get some momentum, to have confidence that I can take action, to just get some wins under my belt. Like, what are those initial bricks? How do you help somebody decipher that? Well, typically just showing up so we can talk about bricks moving all all day. We can think about it, talk about it, but showing up key. So how do you show up? Well, one, you have to carve out time in your calendar to do any of this, whether it's food stuff, whether it's movement, whether it's just, um, you know, connection, maybe that's one of your things that you know you need to do this year. You have to carve out time to show up. So that's like step one and and can't be overlooked. But then really it is dependent on the person, right? My The number of bricks I move really has nothing to do with you. And what someone should do is start 
period, wherever you're going to start. So I, again, like, I know that it doesn't totally answer your question, but we often wait until we are all set up. I want to be set up so I can move all the bricks. I want to have the right backpack. I want to have the right shoes. I want to have the right situation. And that's just usually an excuse to never do it. So the best thing you can do is just do anything. If you want to join the gym in January and you're super excited because it's going to open and have the class that you want, but it's not open yet and it doesn't have the class you want yet, then go ahead and join anyway and just start showing up. Create that like little bit of a routine because you're already doing it. The same thing with food. Like you may have a a plan, you may have signed up for something in January you're so jazzed about, but it's it's what day is it? It's the 29th. Go eat, go go buy some vegetables today. That is the key is just start moving um, because then it will be easier to have days that feel more like a 10 brick day. If you're like someone who's like, just, just tell me how to do that. You start with moving. Yeah. Yeah. And here's why we get along so well, because yesterday I listened to a talk by um, Dr. Jeff Spencer, who is a, he calls himself a corner man and he's basically coaching like the top 1% of the 1%, like Lance Armstrong, Tiger Woods, elite athletes rely on him for like just mindset. It's like, Hey, I'm, I'm really stuck with this thing. And they hire him to get them unstuck. And he gave an amazing presentation. And uh, one of the things that resonated with me was he said the phrase action organizes. And we often think of it in reverse. Like I have to have all my ducks in a row before I take action. I have to have everything set up perfectly before I take action. He's like, no, you take action and then you get organized. Like you have to start and then the organization comes. And we often trick ourselves into thinking that we need to be organized first and we need to, and then something will, you know, shift a little bit. And we're like, oh, nope, I can't start yet because this thing was off track. And now I have to get this sorted out and then oh, this happened. So I have to you know, pay off this bill first before I hire a coach. Like we just continue to believe these stories about needing everything to be in, a, in perfect alignment before we start. And he's like, and it just delays the most important experience, which is your action. And uh, so like one of the things that elite athletes that he worked with, he's like, they have failed more than anybody else because mm-hmm. they would just start. And it didn't have to be perfect. And they were okay with the fact that they were going to learn by failing. Um, if you think about how kids learn things, they're just like relentless. Like you have, how old's Georgia now? She's two. Yeah, right. So she's just probably like relentless in exploring things until she figures it out. Right? Yeah. A hundred percent. She is. It's, I think it's a, it's a value system problem. We've been told that one thing is ideal. So we see examples that may not even be true. And for the most part, they probably aren't because they lack the context. But the the sort of idealized version of success, we've interpreted to be this all in. They, They do it this way. And I think what I mean by a value system is we don't often value the two brick situation. We're not like, we're not accustomed to celebrating that. We're accustomed to celebrating this massive before and after transformation. We're accustomed to celebrating, you know, big financial things or promotions or whatever. We're not accustomed to celebrating the fact that you showed up on a regular Tuesday on 6 a.m. and did your workout. We just don't celebrate that very much. Um, And so I think when we start to focus on, like you're saying, this action and then organize after that or organize while you're doing it. and you, then you start to celebrate it. Then you can start to look for it in other people. So if you have a friend or a community that's doing this stuff too, then you can see that for them, which oftentimes is easier. You can see it for someone else better than you can see it for yourself. And so then when you practice identifying it, then you start to internalize it because really you have to verbalize it first. So you can, you can know it's a thing, but then you really need to practice saying it out loud. Um, then it starts to become something that your inner head says, you don't have to practice saying it out loud so much anymore. Um, and so that's my tip, like post your selfie of your workout on a Tuesday morning at 6am because you did it. And why are you posting it? Cause you're celebrating it. You're practicing doing this better way that there's, you know, 1% of the 1% do. 
Yeah, I think it's super powerful. Um, it's it's completely accurate in that we want these like massive achievements to celebrate, and we we only think it's valid if it's like some crazy like fifty pounds down or a hundred pounds down. Like, yeah, great, that's an amazing achievement. But the fact that you know you showed up for all of those days and kept going when things got difficult, or you had a day where things went sideways, but you still showed up the next day. Actually, that's a, that's a good topic. How, how do we avoid the, the classic like unravel situation where you've got some momentum, you decided, you know what? I love this approach. I'm going to start moving some bricks. I don't care how many bricks I move. I'm just going to show up and I'm just going to start moving them. And then you have that like inevitable day where life just like takes a shit on you and you're like, screw this. I'm not moving any bricks. I'm done. Like the, the classic analogy of the one flat tire, you slash the other three. How do we overcome that mentality? Where do you think that stems from? How do we start to process that? I think we get disappointed with ourselves. I think we make promises that we don't keep a lot of times. And so then we build up hope that we're going to do something and expectations. And then life throws curveballs. And then when it doesn't happen, we feel disappointed and frustrated. So it's easier just to be like, it wasn't the right time for that. So I, I can't do that right now. And it's not really my fault. Um, and it may not be your fault, but at the end of the day, it is an ownership thing. At You showing up the next day it, when yesterday sucked, that's ownership. That's you saying that this is my life. This is, I am going to create this change and it's up to me. It's not up to the circumstances that surround me or the perfect time or that someone else gave me permission to do it. I'm going to do it anyway. So I think taking ownership over the process is, that, again, it's that unsaid thing. Like I could tell you tricks, like put on your tennis shoes, right? Like that's a trick. That is a mental trick that works. If yesterday sucked and today you're like, I don't think I can make it to the gym and you're about to turn one day into two days of not doing it, a little mental trick is just put on your gym shoes, Oftentimes that's helpful or just have yourself go to the gym. Oftentimes that's helpful because you will start it, but those tricks do not work unless you have ownership over the fact that you want this change. Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, there's so many things that, that popped into my head as you were saying that. And I think the ownership, like it's not your fault, but it's still your responsibility. I think that that mindset is key. Like even it doesn't matter what happened. I'm still going to own this and take responsibility. Um, but the, the trick of putting on your tennis shoes, whatever, like I'm, um, this was an analogy that I wish I could give credit, but I don't remember who said it, but it was called name the puppy. And, and the idea is if you go looking for a dog, right. If you're at like a, a rescue or if you're at a breed or whatever, you're looking for a dog. And let's say that you and your partner maybe are not necessarily on the same page. You really want a dog, but your partner doesn't name the puppy and mm -hmm. watch how difficult it is to leave that puppy. Like you have the puppy and you're like, oh, you know, we should name this puppy, whatever. Um, once it has a name, it's yours now. Like you mm -hmm. can so hard to disconnect from that, which is the same thing that like if you go into, um, you know, you're going looking for a car, the salesperson is going to put you in the vehicle and like talk about you know, visualize it. If you go see a house, a good real estate agent will, will get you to visualize like, where would your TV go and where would the kids sleep? And like, now all of a sudden it's yours. They're just, that's naming the puppy. Um, so like you said, there's a trick, like tricks like that, where you can put yourself in the mindset of doing it, putting on your, your gym shoes, like that's naming the puppy. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, you're not going to do that unless you have the mindset to take responsibility unless you have the mindset to know, like, this is, this is my choice. I'm going to take control of the situation, regardless of all the things that happen that I can't control. I know that there's something I can do today that I can control, even if it's just moving one brick, or if I had a day where I didn't move any bricks, that's okay. Because I still have time on my side. I think that that's another thing is we, we tend to wrestle with time because we want everything to happen immediately. And time is undefeated. It will never lose. So we might as well work with it versus trying to fight against it and realize that the change that you want doesn't have to happen overnight. And if we just understand that moving zero bricks in a day is not a big deal because they're still there and you're still mm -hmm. capable of moving them the next day. Um, and I think that, is there anything in terms of like, 
working through the instant gratification mindset that you can think of? That one's hard, to be honest. I think everybody wants to see changes and results as fast as possible. And again, we still, we hitch that, those results to the wagon of what we should be able to do or our expectations of what should be happening inside of a week or two weeks or three weeks or four weeks. Um, Again, I think paralleling this to other things in your life that have been worthy of a long-term approach. Um, And again, you and your body are worthy of a long-term approach. But look back. If you have a college degree, for example, that didn't happen overnight. Uh, Imagine if you just approached it with this like two weeks in mindset. You didn't. You knew you were going to have a bunch of classes. You're going to show up a bunch of times. You're going to have some A's and some C's and some bumps in the road. But the long-term mindset of you knew you were in it resulted in your degree. So whatever you have, maybe it's raising kids, maybe it's caring for animals, maybe it is building a house, like whatever it is, you have this tool set in some other aspect of your life. I guarantee it. If you've achieved success somewhere, you've had a long-term approach. And so then just relate that over to your body you are worthy of a long-term approach too. And so what does that look like? Um, and again, I think that that kind of parallel feels like a good way to approach it as opposed to sort of this, you better get the motivation. You better be determined. You better be committed. You better be all of these things. Like that's not helpful. If you don't feel motivated or committed or that you even like how you feel right now, you don't like your body enough to make change, that's not going to work. Um, you're going to quit. And so then instead, when you look at other places in your life where you've had success, we're saying something really positive about you. We're saying you have, you have this skill set. You know how to do these things. You know how to put stuff in your calendar. You've done it before. Um, you know how to show up even when it's not perfect. You've done this before. Now we're just going to use these same awesome skills that you developed here. And we're going to apply them in this category. It's going to take some learning, but you learn those ones. So you can learn this one. And all of a sudden it's not about being motivated or being capable or being athletic or having the right genetics or any of that stuff. It's about acquiring the skills and then doing things consistently with the long game in mind. Yeah. I think it also goes back to what you said earlier about rewarding the behavior. Like you went to the gym on a Tuesday, Mm -hmm. normally you would just be like, yeah, it's no big deal. I showed up to the gym. But when you start rewarding those behaviors and not looking at it from the outcome, like I agree, everybody wants results. We all want results. And sometimes we get frustrated for like, I'm trying so hard, but I don't see the results of all that effort. But trying hard is not necessarily the best approach. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if if I were to like put in a pool in my my backyard, I could try really hard and like dig with my hands that wouldn't make me any more worthy of a pool versus like having machinery, which would make it way more efficient. Just trying harder does not necessarily come with a a bigger reward or anything like, you know, pot of gold at the, the end of the rainbow. It's just maybe you're trying hard for the sake of trying to force the issue and getting back to like the behaviors and how they make you feel. Like I showed up for the gym on a Tuesday that feels really good. I'm I'm proud that I actually did that and showed up and got my workout. And you start connecting with things other than the direct outcome, like how your body's changing or what the scale might say. But you're like, you know, I feel really confident today. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm walking taller because I showed up for myself and I kept a promise I made to myself. You start to notice other things that are worth more than just, and, and yes, like at the end of the day, we can influence the behaviors that influence the outcome, but for all intents and purposes, we don't have exact control over the exact outcome. And sometimes we have to let go of that and just trust that we're doing the behaviors because of how they make us feel, because this is something that we care about and it's important to us and really connecting to that versus like the immediate outcome that we're, that we're seeking. If that Mm -hmm. makes sense. A hundred percent. And again, I, I bet you do this in other places in your life really easily. I mean, at least me, when you were talking, Mike, I was thinking about my kids and I was thinking about how just as a mom, I look at the things that they're doing that are not perfect. And you said with Georgia, 
but I'm watching them try and I'm acknowledging it along the way. It's like that, that, that's a pretty good try. Like, let's try this way next time. Or that's great for today. I'm hanging up that busted looking picture on the fridge. That's awesome. You know, but as a, as a mom, because I love my kids that I'm just doing that. I'm acknowledging them along the way of the journey, building their confidence, helping them see. Um, and then they get to practice saying those things too. And so when we're talking about ourselves and thinking about building confidence, like you said, we're focusing on wins that aren't necessarily the outcomes. I can't emphasize that enough that you actually have to acknowledge yourself. You have to. Um, you have to give yourself credit for showing up. You have to give yourself credit for doing a, a two brick day or a 10 brick day. You have to give yourself credit for, I had four cupcakes in front of me and I just chose one and I would have had four before. That acknowledgement is practicing in building confidence. And once you've built that, then you can apply it to harder things. And again, it, it then it starts to become automatic also where you don't necessarily have to acknowledge every single thing, but at, but you've treated yourself with sort of like the kind of love that you would for someone else um, where you're not just like, well, that sucked. You know, you didn't create that outcome. You might as well quit. If you do that, then I can't, I, this is, this talk's not for you anyway, but it, most of us don't do that. We know that that's not how to help someone be successful. So we just, we just have to practice that on ourselves. Do you have a way of making that process more internal versus external? Like instead of needing external validation, like somebody patting you on the back for, for showing up at the gym, as an example, do you have a way of making that more of an internal reward system versus an external validation system? I don't know if this will help. This is my internal monologue about this. I take a lot of joy in knowing that I'm doing, I call them the quiet reps, the ones that nobody sees, the ones that people don't acknowledge or give you that pat on the back. In those moments where you almost feel lonely and you're like, why am I doing this here by myself? It's not, I'm not even sure if it's working. If you can identify that moment in your own brain that you're doing those quiet repetitions, um, I feel a lot of internal satisfaction from that. And again, I don't know if that applies to everybody. Um, but no, I think it comes from perspective in knowing that people that I admire and have in respect and watch, they do quiet reps too. Um, and so then I know, okay, well, I'm a part of a special tribe of people who are willing to do quiet reps. That's uncommon. I mean, even if you're listening to this podcast, you're already uncommon. You already are so different than most people because you want to be better. You want to um, feel good. You want to take care of people. You, you are already different. So then own that. And then when you're doing those quiet reps that nobody sees, you're not getting a pat on the back. Just know that that's part of what we do. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. It's similar for me. Um, and I think that some people use journaling as a way of acknowledging the quiet reps. Um, I always have kind of that like internal monologue that's going on. I often reflect as well. And I'll think about something that I've achieved in the past. And then I'll start to look at all of the like gray area stuff. That's not, that like, wasn't the big thing. You know, we always look at the thing, like, you know, I, I did a photo shoot and I got really lean or I, you know, hit a milestone in my business and I'm really excited about it. And I'll start to look in that like gray area. That's like all the stuff in between. I was like, oh yeah, I remember like I, I showed up on this day when it was really tough. And I showed up on this day when it's really tough. And I'll start to remember and reflect on all of those things and then apply it to whatever it is I'm working towards in the current moment. Like I know that there's going to be plenty of those moments, but last time I did it and I just showed up and I kept doing it. So it's the same thing now. And um, even still like, I think we have to remember each experience, it gives us more tools in the toolbox. So you're not the same person. I think sometimes we use the past as like, almost like, well, I failed then, so I'll fail now, but you're a completely different person. You now have a broader toolbox and a, a broader skill set to be able to handle whatever it is. So like the failure does not need to be interpreted as a predictor. 
it can be, I learned that so it won't happen again. Or I know what I did, what I would do differently now, um, rather than beating ourselves up for failing again, like it doesn't matter that the context of the failure, every failure is an opportunity to learn and grow. And that's kind of what we're here to do. So I think that that's something where a lot of people get, get hard on themselves. And I don't know why, like nutrition seems to be like the one area that's so difficult for people to, to grasp that mindset. Like you didn't fail forever. It was a moment and there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of information. That's not great information. There's a lot of extreme protocols out there. We all fall into them. Um, but it seems very difficult for diet nutrition, especially for people to grasp the like, I'm not a failure because I failed at a diet type of mindset. Yeah. Most of those quote diets, the things that many people have tried, they're not really created for you to succeed. And so the last thing you want to do is attach it to your, you know, your character or what's possible for you to succeed. I mean, a lot of these companies have had lawsuits based off of the fact that they didn't have it on their website, that 97% of the people gain all the weight back and fail. It's not created for you to be successful. Some of those approaches. And I mean, if you've done them, I mean, I did a bunch of them, you know, Weight Watchers a bunch of times, um, shakes, um, kind of like the shake challenges, all of those sort of things that I thought, oh, okay, I'm going to be the success story. Those success stories are not common. And honestly, it's not even that they're not common. Again, there's always something you can learn or something you can grow from. And oftentimes, maybe you're seeing the version that the person used that for the catalyst that changed their life. I'm a perfect example of this. So one of the, one of the things that I did when I was really stuck and frustrated. So after having my first two kids, I was 40 pounds overweight, completely stuck and um, unhappy, really trying everything under the sun to find me again and failing just like what you're talking about, like doing the thing and then quitting and thinking like, what's wrong with me? I don't have the discipline. Clearly, I don't know how to do this. Um, I, I can't say no to, you know, um, Chick-fil-A. I, there, what's, what's wrong with me? And so I was building up all of these like practice failures, you know, and around that time, um, someone pitched me uh, a shake challenge. It was one of those MLM shake companies and it was like, drink two shakes a day um, and eat one meal. Well, at the time, I didn't understand at all that really what you're doing is just eating less food and you're replacing two meals with a protein, you know, primary meal, which is this, this shake. And then you're eating your third meal. You're creating a quite a large calorie deficit. You're going to lose weight. It's a system you can follow. So your brain understands it. Um, and I did see some success from that. And here's the thing. I don't recommend those things to anyone ever. But if I look back on it, I could beat myself up about joining sort of a gimmick. Or I could just say, hey, that was the catalyst that actually had me. Like you said, when you joined the thing at your gym and you didn't find success, I didn't find success with that shake challenge. But here's what I did find. I found a couple other people who were on this journey too that ended up connecting me to the coach that changed my life. Um, I probably wouldn't have found them without starting this, this shake challenge thing. So I have things that I learned from it. Um, it doesn't serve me right now to like beat myself up about it. Um, but again, I'm not a success story that that shake company needs to share because that, that's bullshit. I didn't, I didn't create success from that. It was just a piece of my journey um, and not one that I would recommend. There's way better ways to do it. So it's it's funny. I think we in nutrition, you're right, Mike. Like we we tend to look at things like very black and white. Like I I I was successful when I did keto, you know, five years ago, but that's not that doesn't that's not even accurate because it's not success if it didn't stick or if you weren't able to incorporate it in your lifestyle. We just have this weird like black or white that worked, this didn't. I need something that works. That's probably not going to work for me because of whatever. Instead of understanding that. Um, nutrition, like you said, long game, but also let's take some of the judgment out of it and just move like one brick forward. If you're eating a little better than yesterday, 
then you're on the right track. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, very similar to, to my experience and takeaways with a lot of the stuff that I tried. And it's like, again, I could sit there and berate myself, but what good does that do? I spent plenty of time while I was in that process doing just that and it got me nowhere. So I know it's not going to serve me. Um, and it is, you know, it's a, it's a vulnerable subject because your relationship with food is an intimate relationship and it does influence a lot of other areas of your life. And I think that sometimes we see it like I've been open about the fact that my disordered eating, my body dysmorphia, the stuff that I went through um, strained my my marriage um, and was a big reason why we ended up separating and getting divorced. And it wasn't the only reason, but it definitely drove a wedge. Um, I've talked about my relationship with my sister and and how that was tarnished for a while because of a lot of the stuff that I did to myself um, and like was so wrapped up in that relationship with food that I put other people aside and was just very much like, well, I can't go out. I can't go to this like family gathering because I have to stay dialed in on this crazy diet that I'm doing. And I would make up excuses and do all these things. Um, so it is, you know, it's, it's a sensitive subject, but I think at the end of the day, if we take this softer approach and you give yourself a little bit of grace and you just focus on the one or two bricks with your nutrition and understand that it doesn't have to be perfect. Um, you start to see the influence in the other direction. Like a lot of, a lot of women, and I'm going to totally generalize here, but a lot of women care very deeply about, like I'll say, speak to moms in general, which probably sounds weird coming from a male, but like moms for the most part, like they really want to pass down a positive relationship with food to their children. But then the approach that they take with their own nutrition is diametrically opposed to that. Right. So like sometimes there's that obsession and they're, if you ask them, they'd be like, I don't want my daughter or son to have the same relationship with food that I do, but then they continue to obsess and restrict and go down that path. Um, but once you take the approach that we're talking about here, you accomplish what you truly desire, which is setting a better example. Yeah, it's we're talking about it in this podcast episode, um, almost making it sound matter of fact. Like here, here you go. Here's the the easy mindset shift that you have to make. But I think we both know this isn't easy. What we're talking about is actually, you know, important, but not easy. Um, and and you're right. I I think when we shift our mindset to to doing not the all or nothing approach. We start taking the long game. We start being okay with showing up and and taking imperfect action. It does set example. Ultimately, it's it whether it's for your kids, your spouse, your partner, your coworkers, all of a sudden you're very different. Um, you're doing something that most people don't do. Um, and again, you should take pride in that. I think that helps. It helps knowing that um, it's much easier to sit out and wait until something's going to be perfect. It's way easier to do that. Absolutely. That's why most people uh, struggle with, with taking that first step um, because most people would choose the you know certainty of misery over the misery of uncertainty. But um, how do you look at New Year's resolutions now? I'm curious, like the, the shift, because you mentioned you feel a little bit differently about them. Like, what would you say is your approach at this point for anybody who's looking to make a change, who is ready to take that first step? Like what's your, what's your overall approach now? I think before, and I, before, I mean, as a coach before, so maybe three or four years ago, um, new year's resolutions felt almost like I couldn't wait till it was over. Um, because then I could, you know, focus on the people who are serious. And I almost assumed that everybody, you know, who was taking action in January um, was just in it for the hype. And again, no judgment, but I just made that assumption. And I don't think that that was fair. And I've learned a lot since then. Um, and so I've revised how I feel about New Year's resolutions. And it is a season of opportunity. I think as humans, we look for these pivot points. It's part of what makes us human. 
Um, we celebrate birthdays. We, we look for waypoints that we can latch onto. So New Year's can be your waypoint. It can. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, if this feels like a moment for change for you, then take it. You certainly don't have to wait for one. Uh, but now is just as good a time as any. And if it feels good to you to make a resolution going into next year, just make one that you're willing to follow through on. I would rather you not make any resolution. Make zero resolutions than make one that you're not going to follow through on. Um, and if you're like, I don't know if I can follow through on it, make one that you sh- you're sure you can. Um, Mike, you said it before, uh, but if you make your resolution outcome specific, you're in for trouble. My resolution is to lose 30 pounds. That's a dangerous game there that you're playing. You should make a resolution process specific. So I resolve to go for a 30-minute walk every day. That's my resolution. I'm committed to doing the walking for 30 minutes. I don't know how far I'll get, but I'm going to carve it out my schedule. I'm committed to doing that. Can that walking result in 30 pounds of weight loss? Yes but you're committed to something that's a part of the process that you can do. Um, So it's okay. Think of the outcome that you want. That's fine. Start there. But then what are the things that you're going to need to do to create that outcome? And then make your resolution around that. If that's that shift alone will change so much for so many people. If you can embrace that, if you can put it into action and practice, you will see a huge difference, especially if you can, get the arbitrary timelines out of your mind and just say, Mm -hmm. I'm going to do this behavior. Like I know that these behaviors ultimately influence the outcome that I want. And I'm going to focus my resolution on these behaviors and making sure that they are things that you can be consistent with and that you're not stacking the odds against you by trying to say, I'm going to do these 10 different behaviors all at once. Pick the one to two things that you know you can execute on and start there and and you'll see um, how much of a difference it makes. So this was a lot of fun. Where can, uh, where can everybody stay connected with you and uh, up to date on all the things that you've got going on? Uh, yeah, this was so fun. I feel like we could probably talk for hours on all of these concepts. Um, the best place to find me is on Instagram at Christy May Campbell. Um, I try to share my real life and my stories so you get to see my crazy three kids and my three dogs, all my plants, um, how I eat, how I move. So connect with me on Instagram. And then I have a short form podcast. Um, It's five to 10 minutes. It's every day. It's called Fit Me Coffee Talk. A lot of it is kind of around this stuff, a little perspective shift for your day. Um, And so just search Fit Me Coffee Talk on your favorite podcast platform. And then to learn about Fit Me, go to fitmecommunity.com. Beautiful. And I will post all of that in the show notes. Highly recommend that everybody go follow Christy, listen to her podcast. Um, lots of great content. And uh, I, you know, somebody that we are very close, good friends and can have these conversations. And most of the time I'm learning with everybody else. So like for those of you who are like taking notes, I've got all of my mental notes here from this conversation. Like every time we talk, I learn something. So I appreciate you coming on the show again and we will talk very soon. Same, Mike. Thank you so much.